All right. Well, um, by next week, Tuesday, you have to finish the annals of... No, next week is book one of the annals of Tacitus. And you'll have a second week for book two. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, Tacitus, in his work, The Annals of Imperial Rome, chronicles the decline of Rome from uh, basically from Augustus, from Augustus to Nero. And uh, he has other works that go a little bit further. But you get to see the the downfall of the Roman Republic and the emergence of what we call the Roman Empire. And it covers uh, four emperors, which we're going to talk about in a little while, but those four emperors are, if I can find it here, Tiberius, he's going to be the first one he discusses, then Gaius, also known as Caligula, then Claudius, then Nero. So we've, we've just wrapped up our study of Antony and Cleopatra. And you'll remember Antony, um, along with Octavian and Lepidus, uh, were members of the Triumvirate. They ruled over the entire Roman Empire. But eventually, after civil war, um, Antony and Lepidus were removed and defeated. And Octavian becomes the sole emperor. And he's crowned emperor in 27 BC. And that marks the beginning of the Roman Empire. And because they had defeated the other global superpower, the Carthaginians, in the Punic Wars, basically the Mediterranean Sea becomes Octavian's backyard pond. He owns it all. He controls it all. And he has a massive military and a massive naval, um, uh, a massive navy so that he can pretty much accomplish whatever he would set out to accomplish. He receives the title of Augustus, Caesar Augustus, and he's the one that issues the decree that has Mary and Joseph move to go to Bethlehem for a little while. He is the, the one during the, the birth of Jesus. <clears throat> and Tacitus is going to chronicle, chronicle basically Roman history from that particular point in time. Now, we don't know much about Tacitus. He was born around 55 AD, somewhere in northern Italy or Gaul. We're not exactly sure. There's not much spoken about him outside of these, these particular books. We do know that he has an amazing name, Publius Gaius Cornelius Tacitus, which is a great name, Cornelius being the most preeminent of names, um, because Cornelius, short for Cornelius, is Neely. That's right. Tacitus was a Stoic, and hopefully you remember what Stoicism is when we talked about it through Marcus Aurelius. But Stoicism believed not only in the controlling of your emotions and your desires so that you could be happy, but also in virtue, in being a good person. And the, the morality and, the, and the, the code of ethics of the Stoics and of Tacitus, our author, are, are somewhat similar to Christianity. Not, obviously not the same as Christianity. They don't have the gospel. Right? They don't have the case laws of, of uh, Moses. They don't have quite a bit of the particulars of God's law, but they do have many of the gene- generic or general principles of morality. Why do you think that is? Why is it that the Stoics could stumble on you know, basic ideas of virtue? Because we're made in God's image. Yeah, because we're made in God's image, and God reveals 
his, his law, his natural or moral law through, through nature and through reason and through conscience. You know, you're born with a conscience, right? And so you're going to see Tacitus uh, describing the downfall of the Roman Republic and the decay and the moral decay and the corruption and the wickedness and the injustice and the evil and the murders and the suicides of the four emperors. <coughs> and he's going to be, you know, discussing them in light of Stoic philosophy and Stoic morality. All right. But it's not Christian, and you have to be careful about that. The main characters are going to be the four emperors. We already said them, Tiberius, Gaius, Claudius, and Nero. Which, by the way, many people believe, and I lean in this direction, are also the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the book of Revelation chapter 6, if I remember correctly. You all know the four horsemen of the apocalypse? The rider on a white horse, carrying a bow, making war. The rider on a red horse. Right? Have you all heard of that before? We'll look at it after the lecture. But um, some people believe, and I think there's a great case to be made that these four emperors are the four horsemen of the apocalypse predicted to arrive on the scene in the book of Revelation to basically torment and terrorize the empire. And so when he describes them, I want you to note how they're, they are somewhat normal, virtuous people, and then they become emperors, and it's like they become demon-possessed. And they begin to uh, bathe the entire empire in blood. You know, they burn down cities, they persecute Christians, they kill their own mothers, their own teachers. Right, so hopefully none of you become a demon-possessed, murderous, pedophile, sodomite Roman emperor because they are incredibly evil. And you're going to get to read a lot of their evil exploits in here. One thing about Tacitus is, unlike some of the other authors, he doesn't get into the gory details. Some of the other books that we have to read get into quite, a, quite some gory details. He sort of implies it. And as you read, you realize, oh, okay, I understand why that person died. All right? Um, some of the other characters to, to note, one is Sejanus. That's spelled S-E-J-A-N-U-S. Who were the emperors? The emperors are Tiberius, Gaius, Claudius, and Nero. The first <coughs> four after Augustus, the, the first one. And there's also Sejanus, who is the, the henchman, the military commander, and there's also Agrippina, who's Nero's mother, who was quite wicked herself and conniving and eventually is killed by a very suspicious, bloodthirsty Nero. And then there is the wise and virtuous Stoic philosopher, Seneca, who was the, the teacher or the tutor of Nero. Guess what happens to Nero's tutor, his teacher? Yes. He is um, poisoned. The poison doesn't work. He slits his own wrists. They make him do it. That doesn't work. And eventually he's like suffocated in like a jacuzzi or something like that. A uh, hot bath. So, you know, a rough way to go. But Seneca is eventually killed. Those are some of the other characters. Then there's going to be hundreds of people that you read. And you're not exactly sure if Tacitus wants you to remember the name. <coughs> or if that person's going to be killed like in the next ten minutes. 
and you'll never hear about them ever again. So there's a lot of names that come and go. Don't get too upset about that. Just mainly focus on the emperor's names, the tutors, the mom, you know, the general, the military general, things like that. Now, one of the reasons this book is important is because there is major historical overlap with the New Testament. If um, the New Testament is written in the first century, the book of uh, Revelation, for example, one of the last books to be written was written in the, well, probably the last book to be written was written in the 60s by John on the island of Patmos. And, and this, this, these annals are basically covering that time period from you know, 27 BC in the, in the beginning of the empire to Nero's reign, which is in the 60s. The Apostle Paul was probably um, executed by Nero. And so, you know, when we read in the New Testament, we read a lot about Christian persecution. Well, you're going to read about Christian persecution in here. He mentions the um, Christians and he mentions the, uh, the persecution of Christians um, quite, a bit, quite a bit in this particular book. <clears throat> And so when we read this, we kind of get a, a little look-see into the world that the Apostle Paul was preaching in, in the world that the church was growing up in. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I want you to note is that Christians were uh, incredibly persecuted during this particular time, largely because the four horsemen of the apocalypse, like I said, probably these four emperors, maybe these four emperors, uh, hated Christians. They were demonized. And propaganda and false reports were spread about Christians all over the empire. Do any of you know some of the things that Christians were accused of in the first century in the Roman Empire? Yes? Well, Nero accused the Christians of burning down Rome. And historians uh, believe that more than likely Nero burned it down himself because right after the fire he built himself a nice big palace. Right? (laughs) <laughs> with a giant big statue of himself, something a demon-possessed person would obviously do, right? Um, some of the other accusations of Christians. So they didn't worship, they didn't worship Caesar? That's a true yeah, they didn't worship Caesar. That's one of the preeminent ones. So they were enemies of the state. They were traitors, what you would today call insurrectionists, or um, what you might call treasonous behavior. They were against the government, against the state. They were anti-society or anti-social. And it wasn't that they were anti-social or that they were um, insurrectionists or revolutionaries. It was that they didn't worship the emperor as God, right? And they wouldn't offer up um, worship to him. Now, a lot of Christians did fall away and apostatize, and many of them made some terrible mistakes, and they did render uh, worship to the Caesar but many Christians stood firm and were fed to lions and burned at the stake, crucified, etc. What were some of the other accusations against Christians? You'll read about some of this in here. Right, he hates the Christians, by the way, because he's a statist. But what are some of the, they were also accused of being cannibals. Can anyone tell me why they might have been accused of being cannibals? Huh? The Lord's Supper, that's right. Uh, obvious misconfusion of the Lord's Supper. Um, propaganda was spread, etc. And people believed they were cannibals and that they ate little babies. Um, they were also accused of incest. Can you think of why they, that propaganda might have stuck? Incest. Huh? No. No. Because they called one another brothers and sisters and they were in the family of God. That's right. And then they were also accused of being atheists. 
Why do you think Christians are accused of being atheists? That sounds weird. Because they didn't believe in Julius. Because they didn't worship graven images. They didn't worship statues. And so they worshiped an invisible God. So you don't worship a God, right? All right, all of these various uh, propaganda uh, points against Christians led to them being heavily persecuted. And you'll read about this here as well. But this also is significant for us because it shows us um, an empire under God's judgment. You're going to read a lot of weird historical events taking place. Weird signs and omens. Calves being born with five legs. You know, weird stuff like that. And the Romans oftentimes interpret them as signs from the gods. Signs of God's displeasure. And that's not totally, it's not totally false. Um, we can look at nature, we can look at a nation's economy, we can look at the climate, we can look at the justice and the leaders that a nation, uh, the justice that a nation has or lack thereof and the leaders that a nation has and you can see certain signs of God's judgment. God tells us what it looks like when he judges a nation and you'll get to read all about that in here. One of the most significant things God does to a nation that's evil is he gives them evil um, demon-possessed emperors. And, um, and so since we're in the United States of America, and it seems as though we have uh, demon-possessed evil rulers, which we clearly do, and we have economic problems, and we have climate problems, and we have injustice all over the place, rampant in our entire system. Um, we have homosexuality and sodomy and abortion. It's clear that we too are under judgment, right? And it's very likely, and and I believe, and many scholars believe, that our republic will eventually turn into an empire. Right? Makes sense? And so you can see, you get to read about a republic turning into an empire, and you're going to get to pick up on some of the clues of what that looks like. What do you think it looks like for a republic to turn into an empire? Total rule. Total rule by one particular person. Yeah. Sure. Do you think empires have elections? No, but we have elections, don't we? Yes, you see, this, you see a loss of elections, you see a loss of actual representation of the people, and you see eventually a control by an elite class, by a few people. You see... Political backstabbing. You see the the imprisonment and the execution of political rivals. We know that's what's happening in Rome. Do you think that's happening in our our nation? The imprisonment of political rivals, the execution of political rivals. Yes, of course it's happening. Of course it's happening. And eventually, the um, the cycle of vengeance and uh, murder and assassinations just goes round and round. A new person gets in charge. Everything seems good for a little while. Then they get a little afraid that other people are trying to take their power and they start murdering and killing everyone. That's what's going to happen over and over again. It's a, in this book, you're going to see uh, peace and prosperity and then demon-possessed, murderous rage kill everybody, including your mom and your teachers. Right? And then it just, and the cycle just continues. Yeah. And I, I definitely believe we have this in our nation. It's not to the full, it's not Caligula level yet. Um, but I do believe it will become that way unless there's some uh, outbreak of revival. And of course, you also see 
in any uh, satanically empowered empirical state, um, you see the persecution of Christians. And you're going to see that all over this particular book as well. Um, In the book of Revelation, it describes Rome and the Roman emperor as a great beast. Right? Are you all familiar with that? Um, in the book of Daniel, it, it describes the, the coming of four great kingdoms. Does anyone know the names of the kingdoms in the, the image of the statue in Daniel? The gold head represents what kingdom? Babylon. Then the, the silver uh, torso, the Persians and the Mede, the Persian Medo-Persian Empire. Then the bronze legs represents Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. And then the feet and the legs of iron, or the legs of iron, represents the Roman um, Republic, probably. But then it transitions to the feet, where the feet are iron mixed with clay. There is a transition that takes place in the Roman Empire. And the Bible says, at that moment, in the vision, a rock comes from heaven. Nod your head if you're familiar with this vision. You need to read it. And the rock comes from heaven... A mountain, essentially. Mountains are symbols of kingdoms in the Bible. And it flies at the earth and it hits the great statue right in the feet of iron and clay. And what happens to the kingdoms of this world? They're shattered and all the pieces, are they go out in the wind like chaff. You know what chaff? Like just leaves blowing in the wind. And uh, that's basically what's happened in human history. Jesus Christ came, he established his kingdom at the time of the, right at the beginning of the Roman Empire. Um, And the Roman Empire was frail, iron and clay, going back and forth, civil wars breaking out with every new emperor. If you look up the emperors, and we're going to watch some videos and talk about each one, but they're like killed by the next emperor, right? And and Jesus' kingdom builds, and the kingdoms of this earth are shattered. And did you know by... Right around, you know, the 4th century, 4th and 5th century, the Roman Empire had become completely Christian. You know? <laughs> that it became the, basically, not only tolerated, but the emperor, Constantine, becomes a Christian and makes Christianity sort of like the official religion of the whole world, of the whole Roman world. It took about 300 years, but eventually Jesus defeats the beast and um, we're gonna we're going to if we have time I'm going to show you how all of that is prophesied in the Bible especially in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation and you get to basically read a non-christian report of the uh, of these things going on make sense mm-hmm. all right there's a there's a cool um, <coughs> part of the book of Philippians right at the end of Philippians where Paul he's under house arrest and uh, under Nero and um, he writes back and he, and he tells the people, hi, you know, say hi to this friend and say hi to this friend. And oh, by the way, some of the members of Caesar's household uh, say hi too. And uh, because they had become Christians. It's kind of cool. Like, um, and so Christianity right there at the end, and that's right at the end of the Bible, basically, um, had already infiltrated the household of Caesar until eventually you get... Um, you know, a Christian emperor, Constantine. Very cool. All right, that's it for today.